the early days of the church, Christians faced the enormous task of bringing Christ to a world that did not know Christ. Today, Christians face an equally daunting challenge to re-evangelize a world that has all but forgotten Christ. Join us as we examine our call to remember Jesus Christ with our special guest, Father Renato Cantalamessa, preacher to the papal household. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. about challenges of faith in our time. We have a regular panelist here, <clears throat> Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology here at the University. And our special guest and good friend again, Father Renato Cantalamessa, an OFM Capuchin for Friar. <clears throat> he holds a doctor degree in divinity and in classical literature. You've served as professor of history of ancient Christianity here at the Catholic University in Milan. And in 1980, you were appointed <clears throat> by Pope John Paul II as preacher to the papal household. And you still serve in that capacity, which is remarkable, but we won't comment further right now. <clears throat> you preach a weekly sermon in Advent and Lent in the presence of the Pope, as well as cardinals, bishops, and other prelates. And you also have a weekly program on Italian state television. And you, of course, have been author of many books, including Remember Jesus Christ, Responding to the Challenges of Faith in Our Time. And we want to launch our discussion today on that. <clears throat> but um, give us some background on these meditations from your book. Uh, you know, you prepared these for the Holy Father at one point and the papal household. What is it like to prepare a retreat for the Pope? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first of all, let me say something about yes. this ministry, preacher to the sure. papal household. As you have said, it means that I give a meditation every Friday morning to the Pope and the Cardinals and so on. Uh, and I try, preparing for uh, giving these meditations, I try to adjust to the particular graces or challenges the Church is, is experiencing at that time. For instance, this particular series of meditation was given the first year of the pontificate of uh, Benedict XVI. Ah. So I remember that the Jesus founded the Church upon an act of faith of Peter on the, on the divinity of Je Jesus. So I, th I thought it was a good way of, of helping a new pontificate ah. by stirring a big, strong <clears throat> act of faith on the divinity of Jesus. Mm. And this was the main, main uh, inspiration, main, main uh, uh, desire. And apparently it obtained what... Uh, what uh, they invited uh, you back. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You've done this more than once. 
Is that right? Uh, yes, I have been doing that for the last 32 yes. years yes. now. <laughs> Never a preacher lasted so long, yeah. and I have an explanation for that. <laughs> I, I think the Pope has realized that this is the place where Father Candelamisa can do less harm to the church. <laughs> ah, right. They keep me you. under control. A yes. short leash, as we say. Uh, oh my. What, a, what a great <laughs> gift it is. Yeah. And what a, you know, how much you must depend upon the Holy Spirit, the freedom that you have for the Holy Spirit to guide you in speaking to the successor to Peter and to figure out, to discern mm -hmm. from the Holy Spirit what it is. Two, two thoughts help me a lot. One is that I have not to preach my personal message or my yeah. philosophical system, just the word of Jesus, yes. the message of Jesus. And as I believe that Jesus has words of yeah. eternal life, so this gives me assurance. The second uh, help is the Holy Spirit, precisely, uh, because um, after preparation, after reading, uh, you need uh, fire from, from on high. Right. Uh, yeah. I very often quote the passage where uh, the prophet Elijah is preparing the, the, the wood for the right. sacrifice, but he waits for the fire coming up. Uh, my, my preparation is like uh, gathering wood, uh, but unless the fire f comes from, from heaven, right. it will... Yep. Uh, there will be no flame. Yeah, right. That is a good reminder for all preachers. Right. right. You know, th there's a, a, a sense, certainly, that you depend on the Spirit to sustain you in this ministry. But there's also a sense that the Spirit depends on you to carry it out, uh, yeah. to be charged uh, uh, with this particular mission, oh, yes. uh, to, to speak the mojus, yeah. the, the convicting word that the Pope needs to hear. That must be that must be sort of terrifying. Uh, uh. Not 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 exactly. Just the first moment, <laughs> the first time I, I, I had to speak, uh, it was Lent, nineteen eighty. I remember the first three or four minutes being a little uh, nervous, excited, and yes. anxi anxious. But later on, I was very relaxed. I must say that the Pope helps a lot in this because he is like a Christian among other Christians at this yeah. moment. Yeah. And listening with a great humility, I speak very, with pleasure of, of this ministry of mine because it tells more about the Pope than about the preacher. Uh -huh. yeah. The humility of the Pope coming to listen to, to the sermon of a simple preacher, uh, yeah. priest of the Catholic Church. There's a, there's a reminder of this in the Gospel of John, as you know. You know, you could ask the question, who preaches to Peter? You know, who preaches to the Pope? And yet in the Gospel of John, as you know, Peter depends upon the beloved disciple to figure out who it is that will betray Jesus in John 13. He depends upon the beloved disciple to get into the courtyard of the priest there in John 18. <laughs> get to the tomb. That's right, to get to the tomb. John gets there first, but lets Peter go in. And then likewise aboard the boat. It is the Lord, says John. And I think that's the role that you have to continually remind Peter to look out and to, to see that it is the Lord who alone can make that catch of fish possible. <clears throat> So, getting to the meat of what you preach, what's the biggest challenge to faith in Christ today in modern times? What do you see in 
as the biggest obstacle and challenge out there that has to be confronted? This is a topic I dealt with, especially last Advent. Uh, in view of this effort for a new evangelization and, and the creation of the new Pontifical Council for Evangelization, uh, I started trying to single out the main, main challenges, uh, the obstacles to, mm. to, to the faith. And I uh, thought that three, there are three main challenges. Atheistic scientism, uh, secularism, and rationalism. Scientism, secularism, and, and rationalism. And rationalism. Right. Not rationality, rationalism, and rationalism, not secularization, right. but secularism. Right. Not science, but scientism, which is different. Yeah, certainly. And well, have, do you think you've successfully met uh, those challenges <laughs> in the book that uh, is under review uh, today that we're talking about? Uh, this I dealt uh, not especially in this book, yeah. but in a series of meditation I gave last Advent, yeah. which are in in in, uh, in internet also. Uh, but in uh, this first series, which is yeah. printed in uh, and Remember Jesus Christ, I. Um, try to, to create the general framework right, of, of, yeah. an, of our modern and preaching of the gospel. Well, you know, Father, I was much uh, struck by uh, your thesis that what the church needs now uh, is a charismatic moment, yes. uh, a kind of still point. Mm -hmm. uh, and you cite uh, the poet Pagui, that lovely uh, image of, mm -hmm. uh, of the boat, the ship that, that sort of pierces the ocean like butter. Uh, and that point creates this swath of water and waves uh, in its but wake. It but what matters is the point. still point, the charismatic uh, moment. Uh, could you talk about that? Well, the presupposition of this is that we are living in a world which resembles the world of the apostles. They were facing a pre-Christian world, yeah. a pagan world, and we are facing a post-Christian world in a, in a, certain, in, in a certain sense. Uh, so we must start again from the beginning. Yeah. They, the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't start saying what they had to do. He right. started the, saying, Remember Jesus Christ? Remember this man who went around mm. doing well to everybody? Well, right. you killed him. Yeah. God raised him to, uh, to life. And now for that reason, you must know that God has appointed yeah. this Jesus, yeah. whom you have yes. crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Yeah. So, so we must start again with the person right. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Everything uh, comes after. So right. that it's, it's not primarily a confrontation of the culture in terms of what they have to do, but a contemplation by the culture of what Christ has already done in his death and resurrection, yeah. precisely because of what we cannot do mm -hmm. apart from Christ. I especially appreciate <laughs> something that comes near the climax of your book, where after citing Deus Caritas Est, you then refer to Pascal mm -hmm. and to the orders of the, 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 the physical order, uh, physical greatness, mm -hmm. strength, wealth. And then you also beauty. speak- Beauty, that's right. Yeah. And then you speak of the, the order of genius, intelligence, and, and how much the world seems to prize those two orders in terms of beauty, in terms of strength, in terms of wealth, in terms of intelligence and genius. But the third order is the order of love. 
And these are, these are both ordered to that, and yet the world seems to be locked up in that. And as you mentioned, scientism, you know, rationalism, secularism are, are absolutizing these orders that are good but relative, whereas the absolute order of love, that's what Christ embodies and what Christ alone gives to the world without which the world will die continually. And I, I think that you, with such simplicity, you have put your finger on precisely what Jesus wishes to say through the whole mystical body, the totus Christus, to the whole world. You remember, Scott, uh, um, I don't know if you read uh, the Quo Vadis, this beautiful uh, novel. There is a moment when, uh, when uh, a, a pagan addresses Peter and says to Peter, Greece has given us wisdom. Yes. Romans have, have given us power. What do you give us, you yeah. Christians? Yes. And yeah. he answers precisely, love. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you know, Pascal uh, insists that there's a radical discontinuity among yes. those three orders. And, and that has to be remembered, difference. a kind of rupture between nature and grace, which is pretty provocative, I, I think, as if to say, look, you accumulate all this luster and prestige and power and beauty, and yet not a scintilla of it uh, can give you the order of charity. You need a qualitative leap right off the page. You need grace, and grace has to burst through the clouds of this world. This You're has, saying that's what we need. Yeah, this is, this is important because, you know, I'm a Thomist and I love St. Thomas, but many Thomists forget that, okay, grace builds on nature, but not until nature has been crucified yeah. and resurrected, yeah. you know, and, and this is why we're not opposed to rationality, but rationalism, mm -hmm. that is a reason that is closed in upon itself, science that is exclusively scientific, you know, and I think that the the beauty of Jesus as you preach him is to show that there's nothing more reasonable than being open to the truth of God. Even if reason cannot demonstrate it, reason can die and rise to a whole new truth. Yeah, yeah. But the key, I mean, you're saying the key is the centrality of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, why uh, do we find people ignoring Jesus Christ when they talk about faith and religion and the rest. Are they unaware or have they just passed it on? Why don't they center in on Jesus Christ? This, uh, Father Michael, is <coughs> a key point I try to de deal with in, in the book. Uh, the three main dialogues going on in our modern culture exclude uh, Jesus. The dialogue with, with science, uh, yes. faith and science. Science is interested uh, only knowing if there is a creator or the world is the, the result of chance and necessity. So Jesus is not mentioned, of course. Yeah. The problem is uh, whether there is a creator or not. Yeah. In the dialogue with philosophy, again, philosophy is not interested in, in historical events, right. but in metaphysical Yes. ideas. So Jesus is completely ignored. In the dialogue between religions, the interreligious dialogue, yeah. so we speak what we have in common, peace um, yeah. and, and so on, even the belief in God. But Jesus, is, of course, is completely excluded. Right. So we don't realize that Jesus is practically absent in our, yes. in the main circle of our, our uh, culture. Yeah. And uh, uh, St. Paul 
and St. John and all the New Testament tell us that faith which saves is faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Which doesn't mean that God is, is forgotten. Precisely this is the plan of God, yeah. that through the Son we should come to. Nobody comes to me, uh, uh, no, nobody comes to the Father unless through me. So, mm -hmm. Well, when we, we come back, we want to talk and center right in on that, proclaiming Jesus Christ. How is it done? Who does it? How does it fit our lives? Stay with us. I need to dilute the culture of death in the medical field. Um, and I really want to be a physician who takes care of people instead of just treating symptoms and covering up symptoms because there's more to a person than even just than their physical health. I'm a theology major and I just got hired for a job back in my home state of Texas as the children's director of religious education. And what I would like to do with that is to let Christ's light shine through me to others so they can only see Christ and not me. This university is different because um, not only it's going to sound cliche, but that academically challenging, passionately Catholic, like it's not a lie. It's, it's an it's a academically prestigious school, but it has this Catholic environment that is unlike anything else I've ever seen or experienced firsthand. Priests are very available um, to hear confessions and just spiritual direction, you know, do the sacraments. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about challenges of faith in our time with our very special guest, Father Renero Cantalamessa, <clears throat> preacher of the papal household. And, um, and when we left off, we were talking about the need to proclaim Christ today. And in your book, you pinpoint or zero in on kerygma. Uh, explain for us uh, how you see the kerygma as needed to be proclaimed, and uh, how is that going to launch us? Yes, as you know, kerygma simply mean, means cry, yes. loud right. voice. But in Christian language, it has ended up meaning the special cry which contains the most important yeah. message on earth, that Jesus died for our sins, rose again for our justification. Uh, the kerygma is the starting point of, of, of our faith. Because faith, Christian faith, as Kierkegaard, the philosopher Kierkegaard said, Christian faith is not about a doctrine, it's not a doctrine, it's a person. And the kerygma precisely uh, puts us in touch with the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. In ancient, the early times of the church, <laughs> the apostolic times, there was a clear distinction between kerygma and didache. Yeah, right. So the kerygma <coughs> was the proclamation of historical events attached with the, the meaning of this event. Died yeah. for our justification, yeah. uh, died for our sins, he rose for our justification. While didache <coughs> meant the teaching, moral yeah. teaching, formation, even, even we, what we could call today mystics or ascetics. But the point is that faith according to the, the apostles, blossoms only in face of the kerygma. Mm -hmm. The didache, which nowadays would be catechesis, moral teaching, comes later to form 
the phase already started. Yeah. This is why we need to go back to the kerygma, because right. we are in a world uh, in which the majority has no personal contact with Jesus. Right. So to uh, multiply the, the, the teachings, even uh, right. moral uh, teaching, before a person has accepted Jesus in his life, yeah. is and uh, is useless, in my yeah. opinion, is useless. Yeah, this, I think, strikes us as pretty self-evident, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, that uh, you have to recover a sense of, of the point of origin, the beginning, back to bedrock, the source. And that's the charismatic uh, eruption, mm -hmm. uh, this flashpoint, Jesus is Lord. That's the source, yes, the sir. seminal point. And everything else is a flowering of, of that initial uh, germinative thrust mm -hmm. you know, from heaven uh, onto planet Earth. <coughs> no. Why did we lose sight <coughs> of that? Now, there is an explanation for that. We lived for centuries in a, in a society which helped people little by little yeah. to come to faith, to develop faith receiving the baptism. Family, school, society were Christians. Eh? Yeah. And this is why there was less uh, necessity to put, uh, to, to put at the center this initial, initial uh, act of faith. But we, the situation has changed. We live no longer in a, in a Christianity yeah. regime. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is why to proclaim the clerima has become now urgent as it was <clears throat> for the apostles. You know, before Vatican II in the 1950s, there was an awakening in Europe that was also here in the US known as the charismatic movement and Hoffinger <laughs> and others yeah. in Innsbruck and, mm -hmm. and it was exciting. Vagagini also seemed to draw that into his mm -hmm. work. And you know, when I, when I was coming into the church 25 years ago, I remember realizing, yes, I, 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 in becoming Catholic, I don't lose the centrality of Jesus, right. the person, and the personal relationship with Jesus Christ as my personal savior and Lord. But there's so much more. And yet when you become a Catholic, you often have a sense that the church's theology and the controversial moral teachings almost obscure the person of Jesus. That all we ever hear about are, look at the church's teachings, look at all of this complicated doctrine. And this is why we need to get back to Jesus, the person who is the son of God, yeah. the person relationship that draws us into the family of God. But you know, you reminded us a moment ago of something really crucial that evangelizing is not the same as catechizing. That right. when you evangelize, you cry out, you proclaim <laughs> the charisma of what Jesus, of what he's done, but who he is. And then after evangelizing, you enroll in the catechumenate, you're, yeah. you're, you're catechized. But even that isn't an end in itself because you then receive the sacraments of initiation. So you have the evangel or, of what is preached, you have the catechesis, of what is taught, but you have mystagogy. We have people drawn right. into the mystery of Jesus so that you don't leave behind the person or the personal relationship. You enter much more deeply into the mystery of that communion. This, if I may say, uh, Scott, is precisely the difference between the, the Catholic spirituality exactly. and Protestant one, uh, <clears throat> which means that 
our riches, these riches of doctrine, um, institutions, canon law, is a riches and a, a splendid heritage, but it can be in danger and in, uh, an obstacle because people are unprepared to receive all this. But if we start uh, putting the foundations, Jesus Christ, then all the rest is in immense riches. Huh? Right. Uh, while yes. usually, uh, uh, I, I love very much, I have a great friend for, for, with Evangelicals and Pentecostals, very often they, they invite me to, to address yeah. them. Right. But I say sometimes to, to, to them, in your meeting, you always uh, go go back to your first conversion. And the, yeah, right. Everybody tells about his conversion, but this is the beginning. We, right, we can right. be mistaken. This is not the, the the fulfillment. This is the beginning. After that, right. yeah. there is all the gospel to, right. to go through, yeah. the beatitudes, the the dark night of, of, of the spirit oh, yes. to reach the perfection. The, the Catholic Church has the means to bring a person, not just to the first conversion, but to the fullness of Christian life. Right. Yeah. But this provided we, we put the foundations. Right. So in, the, in certain sense, we depend on them, on the Protestant, to reappreciate this right. first yeah. conversion. But, but, yeah, the, but the presupposition is you don't get the fullness until you first have the encounter yes, yes. with this the event is, of Jesus this in this charismatic moment. Mm -hmm. uh, you have that wonderful image of this immense weight of brocade that sits on the priest. <laughs> uh, and if you impose that on an infant, uh, it's going to just uh, crush, him. Uh, crush him, annihilate him. <laughs> and I guess we're all children, and we have to return Not you, but <laughs> to that point of origin. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in relation to God, I hope, sure. I hope I acquire that childlike oh, simplicity, that hunger. I mean, in, in a way, Christianity began with just one woman, this young Jewess, this maiden Mary, who experiences the Holy Spirit, who impregnates Mm -hmm. her with the word of God himself and then she tells Joseph and now you've got two people two Christians and, and so it goes it radiates out from that center we have to return to the center what is important is to know that uh, this foundation the, the centrality of the academy is not just uh, put once at the beginning it must always yeah always be, be, be there. It's not forgotten. You, you start and then the beginning is uh, behind Very you. Very important. It's never behind you. It's always central, yes. even though Every day. it has to begin. What are the obstacles <clears throat> to, proclaim, to proclaiming this kerygma the, of Jesus Christ? Why do we have difficulty in having it received today? Uh, well, Father Michael, there are many, yes, I don't think I many, many. <laughs> in general, is this materialistic culture yeah. we are living in, which make, makes people indifferent, indifferent to, to spiritual, uh, and unless a person as in here, open, <laughs> we proclaim in vain the kerygma if nobody, we should try to, to uh, to take advantage of, of some occasions we have to proclaim yeah. the, the, the caring. When people are more ready to listen to a message, in my opinion, one of these occasions are the funerals. Oh. The funeral, because yes. at weddings and first communion, people are usually distracted, many of them. But at funerals, they, they, they are mindful. Yes. Right. Because uh, in the presence of a dead person, everybody is reminded of his 
or her destiny. So uh, only, only Jesus has an answer to give to this problem of death, yeah. only Jesus. Yeah. And you know, we have to remember that Jesus was himself a kind of impediment. He was a stumbling block uh, oh, yeah. to others. And, and I think you, you quote Joseph Ratzinger from mm -hmm. Introduction to Christianity, who, who does ask the question, uh, it is expecting a lot of people to return to that flashpoint and to think that everything is reducible to this still point uh, in the great sea of, of history, that scandal of particularity, that everything converges upon that point, this historical figure, this human being Jesus, in whom we encounter the very ground of, uh, of, of being, God himself, Logos. That's asking a lot of people. Why do you think Jesus rejoiced so much when Peter said, you are the Messiah, the, yes. the son of the living God. Why? Yes. Because this is the real point. When yes. a person comes to faith in Jesus as the son of God, as the only yeah. way, life, yeah. and truth, uh, then, uh, uh, then he is centered the truth. Yeah. And it was a fruit of grace. I mean, it wasn't man yes. who told him. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But yeah. nevertheless, a person must be open, right. Right. must yeah. be ready, yeah. because uh, the grace of God always works yeah. with yeah. our freedom. So what freedom. are the obstacles for people being ready, you know, in <clears throat> our culture? Why can't that mm -hmm. proclamation of Jesus as personal Savior and Lord be mm -hmm. done and received? What do we see in society that prevents that? There are obstacles in society, Father Michael, but there are obstacles in yes. us. Right. If we proclaim the kerygma, uh, out of taking from the books and uh, proclaiming to the people, it doesn't pass through the fire of the spirit. The kerygma doesn't touch mm. the hearts. Why 3,000 people were cut to the heart the day of Pentecost? Ah. Uh, because Peter was speaking in the power and the anointing power of the Holy anointing, Spirit. Yes. So the problem is not just in the world, the problem is also in the, the church. Heart. How many of us are ready to uh, give up any, any, any preoccupation of their name or making a name or making right. a, yeah. receiving yeah. Yeah. applause are ready to lose everything to proclaim Jesus uh, in, in the you power know, you, of the you, you identify two moments of conversion for Peter. On the one hand, Jesus' excitement over Peter proclaiming, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, in just a few verses, after Jesus says, the Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified, mm -hmm. Peter says, no. And Jesus has to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. And so precisely the <laughs> second conversion that occurs through the humiliation of denying our Lord yeah. and then being asked three times by that same charcoal fire, as it were, mm -hmm. to reaffirm. And then the power of the Holy Spirit is really indispensable, yes. not only for the second conversion, mm -hmm. but also for launching the church's apostolic mission. That witness mm -hmm. to Jesus has to be as supernatural as our own, you know, our own conversion, our, our first conversion. And I think this is why we find ourselves today where you know, we're evangelizing the baptized. We're, we're evangelizing people who've been sacramentalized <clears throat> but have not been 
evangelized, who need to be spiritually reawakened and brought back to the center, to the Besides source. Besides, uh, Scott, you remember the difference bef before Pentecost, Peter objected to Jesus' uh, suffering. Right. But after Pentecost, he, he was ready to endure every, every shame and persecution for right. the name uh, yeah. of Jesus. So, Pentecost is the key. Yes. Another point, another, uh, to answer your question, Brother Michael, is that uh, we must program the Kerima with love. Right. So we, we must start loving right. the people. Love. The church must show love. Jesus came to the world because he loved the world. And unless there is love, our understanding, compassion, the world yeah. we will see in the, in the church only an ethical uh, agency yeah. which judges and... and, yeah. and uh, well, we're gonna, when we come back, we want to talk about how to imitate Christ and how to do this in an effective way, <laughs> making Jesus the center. Stay with us. I had a patient, a uh, 12-year-old boy, and I came in there and apparently he had um, a nurse after me and he said that he just wasn't treated with the same dignity. I'm not saying that that was all me, it's just the way I was trained. Franciscan trained me that way. Someone has to make some noise that people out there are being treated unjustly, even though they're the smallest of people, even though they're the people that are the most vulnerable, you know, things like that. Um, so what I plan to do is to take um, what I've been taught here at the university and, and then go get formed um, to, to pass the bar, to, to be a lawyer, to have these specific set of tools in which I can change policy, in which I can change legislation, in which I can do these things. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. about challenges of our faith and our time with our special guest, Father Renato Cantalamessa, preacher of the papal household. And we're talking now on how to imitate Christ. And, uh, and in your presentation and your book, you talk about starting with Gethsemane. And that isn't what we usually hear. So why did you pick that and why is that key? Well, Father Michael, one reason is that this uh, second series of yeah. meditation was given during Lent. So this yes. is why I focused uh, on, yeah. on the Passion of Christ. But Gethsemane has nevertheless something to say in this line because it's about obedience. The, the point, the, mess, the great message of Gethsemane is that Jesus entered this struggle saying, not my will, but your will. Yeah. And everything which uh, followed is based upon this act of faith. What saved us is precisely this acceptance of Jesus to die, to die. Um, St. Bernard used to say that it was not so much the death of Christ which saved us, as the obedience unto death of yeah. Jesus Christ. Obedience unto, unto death, death is more 
important. So following yeah. the obedience is and the focus. of course yeah. uh, obedience is uh, for us also uh, the first point where we shall imitate Jesus. Obedience, yeah. but obedience. Uh, maybe I will uh, have an occasion to explain what kind of obedience. There are many obedience, yeah. obedience to the rules, obedience to the superiors, and there is an obedience to God. Yeah. Yes. And, and what makes this, this gesture of his obedience so impressive is that uh, it's against the grain of his own human will. His inclination, his fear uh, conspire uh, to ask him in, in, indeed, to move him to cry out to the Father, if this be possible, uh, could this chalice uh, be postponed? You know, must I face it? But he submits <clears throat> in, in loving, humble obedience. And that is very moving because most of us evince that kind of resistance in the face of fear or danger or temptation. Well, Regis, I uh, have seen the best uh, explanation of precisely of this in the last book of Benedict XVI, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yes. Uh, the, in a, a dogmatic explanation of what happened in Gethsemane, how Jesus had to, to lead his humanity to the point of a, accepting the will of God. Um, yeah. It was an act, a, a human act of obedience, a divine act of obedience yeah. made with a human That's will. That's the key. Right, right. Yeah, made with a human yeah. You also yes. simplify that here, mm. you know, so that on the one hand, all the doctrine of Christology can sometimes obscure Jesus. But on the other hand, just trying to understand Jesus without the help of the church's teaching mm. is yes, humanly impossible. No, no. So, you know, Maximus the Confessor, the drama there in the Garden of Gethsemane, because it, it, isn't, it isn't the father versus the son in a tug of war. No. It's the divine will which loves in a divine way, holding nothing back. To love like that, you have to be God. But to transfer that to human nature has to be a struggle. Yes. Right. And it's precisely the struggle of a, of, a, of a divine son who has assumed the fullness of our humanity, not just a body, yeah. you know, like you put on a glove, but I mean the soul, and not just the soul, but the will that has a healthy revulsion towards suffering and dying it, ordinarily. It, there, has, there has to be the struggle, otherwise it's not authentic. Yes. It looks as if Jesus is just an automaton. It's and, not theater either. Right, and, and you know, the divinity overwhelms and absorbs yes. the humanity. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie of gods and men, uh, which has made something of a splash. I, just in my journey An to Canada, film. In the, on, the, uh, on the plane, uh, that well, I could oh, I see, see yeah. uh, uh, this. this. About, it's about, uh, a group of Trappist monks yes. in North Africa, Algeria, who are threatened by uh, Islam fanatics. Oh. And in fact, they're mm -hmm. butchered at the end. Yeah. But what makes it so moving is the human struggle, the drama as mm -hmm. it unfolds. Yeah. They don't want to die. Oh. They resist uh, and, and they wish they could be elsewhere. But in the end, they face they face this crisis and they go out like, like angels, but they suffer like men. And it's very eloquent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, that gives us a kind of glimpse uh, of, of something of the abyss that Jesus yes, entered into. It's an abyss. And what? this is what we identify with is Jesus' agony in Gethsemane, that there are times when we have to go through that struggle to stand we up for the faith. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, you asked right. about obstacles to belief. Yeah. <clears throat> so clearly, since we all have a Gethsemane, 
and we discover that we're also called to carry a cross. You know, it's a wonder that anybody believes. Right. You know, yeah. it really is yeah. because right. what we're called to give consent to at one level is inevitable. You're going to have to suffer and die anyway. But to embrace the cross and to see that as the source of salvation, mm. you know, is so bewildering it's to mere precise. natural reason. Yeah, to the head. Yeah. But the presence of God within us and grace right. and love, that's poured out in our spirit and our spirit can lead us through that time. Yeah. This is the tragedy because uh, the world must pass through a Gethsemane. Right. Sooner or later, uh, there's suffering, there's illnesses and death. But when uh, people are left alone without faith, this is the, 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 the tragedy. Faith gives us the, this immense privilege yeah. of transforming uh, suffering into glory. Yeah. You, you quote uh, St. Paul, I think, uh, in your book. Well, quite often you do. Yeah. But, but one text in particular, uh, uh, you are not your own. Uh, you were purchased at a great price, and so glorify God in your body. This sense of being bought by Jesus, uh, the ransom that he becomes, uh, so that uh, we are somehow set free. That is freeing. That's very liberating to know that I belong to another, and what a price he paid to set me free. I mean, that I think should fill us with a sense of gratitude that would help us uh, to walk through these dark nights. There is a, <clears throat> a painting of a Norwegian painter, Munch, the scream, I don't know if you, oh, you know the scream. Yeah. It's a person on a bridge right. uh, holding his head and uh, uttering a, a, a scream in, 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 the, in the void, in the void. Yeah. Sometimes I quote this painting because it, is the, it describes the situation of the world. Once we have forgot the kerygma, yeah. they have the scream. Right. Yeah. The kerygma is, a, a cry which uh, gives hope. Yeah. The, the modern world, having forgotten the, the kerygma, right. uh, is now uh, is dealing with the scream, uh, uttering desperation, because this is an, a painting which suggests desperation, uh, yeah. right. despair, despair. Yeah. And this is why we, we must preach the kerygma, uh, maybe, uh, the, uh, some people are ready to accept the kerygma because they see that unless there is a cry full of meaning, right. we yeah. will cry uh, our despair in, in, in vain in the world. Huh? Yeah. You know, when uh, Pope Benedict was in Lisieux, he, he made this comment that, that suffering without love is unendurable. It leads to despair, yeah. but, but love without suffering is empty. It's mm. words, you know. Yeah. But love is what transforms that suffering into sacrifice, into the passion of divine redemption. And, you know, again, it's people avoid suffering. They avoid talking about it. Mm. They don't want to look at it. Yes. And when they finally have to, it they just fall. leads them. Yeah, they fall. They deny God. <laughs> they, they can be cynical and embittered. And yet this is where the Holy Spirit touches not just them, but as you say, us. Because we can be strong in our doctrine, but then so weak, we are caught off guard by Gethsemane and, and yeah. just want to give in to despair. And we need the Holy Spirit then. And we go through many Gethsemanes, not just one. As a preacher, I always realize that what we are saying, 
we are the first listeners. We must be right. the first to listen yes. because the message is always oh. coming back to us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this, this notion of, of, of the kerygma, I, I think, is, is very helpful. Uh, a, a great American writer, Mark Twain, uh, mm -hmm. used to say that nobody is converted after the first five minutes of a sermon. So you've got to move in quickly <laughs> for the kill. You've got to arrest the attention of your audience straight away. Because after five minutes, they're gone. They're elsewhere. But the kerygma doesn't need five minutes. <laughs> yes. You proclaim it uh, in the space of, yes. of, of a nanosecond. Jesus is Lord. That's it. Right. Uh, the reason is that there is an in intrinsic power in the kerygma. Yeah. It's not just our proclaiming, uttering it. The kerygma is filled with the, the power of God. I sometimes in my ministry, I have almost touched this. When I am just preparing to utter, to pronounce the kerygma, I can feel myself in yes. a different dimension I and see. people staying in, in a, I in a and I can't explain that yeah. without thinking that there is an intrinsic power yeah. working the kerygma, uh, and we should rely upon precisely this. Yeah. this. Well, you use the and word it, explosive. It, it yes, has this it, property. It explodes. It's, it, it's not a dialectical no, uh, no, proposition. It's a, a, a not it penetrates. Yeah. The kerygma is essential, but in defense of those who preach more than five minutes, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. there is you need a some need of, yeah. uh, of instruction and right. dedication right. and application yeah. sure. and all sorts of yeah. ways of fitting the kerygma into your life. That's right, because Father Cantalamessa <laughs> preaches for more than five minutes yes. and still is endowed with the Holy Spirit <laughs> yes. in the sixth minute. Yeah. And I think of St. Paul, who preached on and on oh, for right. hours until Eutychus fell, fell to his to death. Right. And then the power of the kerygma is manifested as Paul raises him from the dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the, the, the word, whether it's short or long, is eternal. And it's abbreviated no matter how long or short it is that we proclaim But you know, it. you beautifully describe Christianity as beginning not with what we're expected to do, but rather with what God has oh, already that. done. Yes. And that empowers us yes. to do it. But first, we need to hear that good news. I carried the cross for you. I set you free. Yes, this is a, a, a point which uh, is very, very uh, close to my heart. And there is hardly a sermon where I don't mention this point. This is the difference between Christianity and uh, any other religion yeah. or uh, religious philosophy. Yeah. Every religion starts telling people what they must do right. to, to be saved. Yeah. Right. Duties, either intellectual speculation or ascetic uh, right. mortification. Yeah. Christianity doesn't start telling people what they must do. It starts right. telling people what God has done for them. That's right. So this is so elementary, yeah. but right. so necessary to remind that Christianity starts with the gift, not with the yeah. duty. Right. Yeah. The commandments comes later. Right. Of course, people immediately say, but there is a first most important commandment to love God. Yes, but the order of commandments is second before there is yeah. grace. He has taken the initiative. But how many Christians know this? Right, I know. We yeah, are responsible. I mean, Christianity is the least labor-intensive spirituality. It all begins yeah. with what God has done. That's the catalyst. And yeah. uh, the principle of our, uh, our morals is gratitude. Right. It's, right. yeah. it's, it's also cruciformity. 
Right. So, right. so no other religion is more right. uh, right. labor-intensive yes. because Christ is the one laboring in us and through yeah. us by the Holy Spirit. But let's not kid ourselves. You know, when we proclaim the cross, yeah. it isn't just Jesus dying so we don't have to. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus dying so that we can now die in a holy, right. loving way every day. But this is precisely why, why so many people reach this this Christian attitude. Yeah. We are still in the Old, Old Testament. Yeah. We, we struggle to put together some good work, something to present to God. And it is much, much easier to work or to right. present. Well, you quote St. Bernard, my merit is his mercy. The mercy of God. Yes. That's, the, that's and, the perspective. And when we come back, we want to take those thoughts for our viewers as to how they can move on with this message. So stay with us. Nursing isn't always the funnest job. It's a lot of dirty work and you see a lot of things you don't really expect to see all the time. So just going into it with a Christ-centered focus definitely helps you get through the day. Um, It's a vocation, not just a job. I know that what's being taught here is Catholic and that is what I believe and it's what the church teaches. We're Christians, little Christ. We don't go around always talking about Jesus. But Jesus is always at the heart of every conversation because our relationship is built on Christ, the same way this school is built on Christ. After we've come here and gotten our formation and grown in our faith, we're called to go out and share the truth, Jesus Christ, with the rest of the world. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. We come to the final segment here on the challenges of faith in our time with our special guest, Father Anero Cantalamessa. We're going to ask each panelist to kind of give a summary here or takeaway thoughts so that we can uh, all launch forward with this message. Yeah. Well, I mean, how does one measure the depth of the ocean? You just plunge in, and, yeah. uh, and, and Father Cantalamessa, we're so grateful. Uh, that you've come to uh, these alien shores uh, from Italy uh, to speak to us because you speak with such wisdom and, and winsomeness uh, about these profound matters that uh, uh, I wish I were Pope because then I could listen to your <laughs> homilies all the time and I would take notes, uh, maybe more copious than those taken by the present Pope. Uh, a couple of images uh, come to mind that, that were plucked out of uh, the narrative of your wonderful little book. Uh, the example of St. Paul, you talk about his righteousness, and then he encounters Christ. And it's as if he had this, uh, this tiny flame, this miserable candle moving through a deep, dark forest late at night. And it scarcely illumines anything. And then suddenly, the dawn of the Son of God uh, uh, blazes forth. Uh, And he doesn't need the candle. He doesn't need the righteousness. He now has grace. He has Jesus. And it transforms his entire life. And as we know, it changes the whole landscape of of Christian history, Christian experience. The other image, I, I think, is the legend that you cite of Christmas Eve 
which is so moving, uh, so touching. The shepherds, they all race uh, to uh, uh, the child uh, at Bethlehem, and they're laden with presents, and they can hardly wait to heap all of these gifts at the foot of, uh, of this child. But there's one shepherd who has nothing, uh, and when he arrives, he's really crestfallen because he has nothing to offer. Yeah. But Mary, who's busy collecting all these gifts, notices that he has empty hands. <laughs> and so she entrusts the child Jesus uh, to this humble shepherd. And the point is so obvious. If you're empty, if you're transparent, if you're hungry and thirsty, and you need everything because you're a beggar who's got nothing, then you're likely to receive the word of God. And, and that's, that's everything. Uh, and you've distilled it so remarkably in this book. Uh, thank you very much. Well, that's quite a summary there. Well done there. So wow. <laughs> Building on that, it's, it's helpful to remember Jesus because that way we never forget we are still beggars. We never cease to be beggars. We never cease to need to be re-evangelized and reconverted. And the, uh, the priority of Jesus reminds me that, that evangelizing, sharing the good news, the kerygma has to come before everything else, where everything else is off-center, it's eccentric. This is the center and the source. But once we do that, you know, far from diminishing the importance of catechizing, evangelizing then invests the truth that is taught in catechizing with this eternal value. And then likewise, mystagogy to train adult Catholics in the mysteries of the sacraments and the, the mystery of who God is eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, this is so much more than dogma, you know. And, and this fits a person relationship because it isn't just a person relationship, but it has to start there all the time. I have a person relationship, you know, with a, uh, a clerk in a store uh, where I buy things on a regular basis, but I have a covenant relationship with Kimberly but not until we were courting, and then we were engaged, and then we were married. You know, and that's that three-stage process of evangelizing, of catechizing, and then sacramentalizing. Uh, courtship, engagement, and marriage leads us into communion, and yet even after 32 years of marriage, we need to renew the wellspring of our romance. We need to go back to where we met. We need to reminisce. We need to celebrate anniversaries. This is what the church is for to really renew the wellspring of a divine romance that should always catch us off guard and always seem like news, good news, but news, you know, something that, that strikes us as being something that never gets old. And you do that, and you don't just do it in a book, you do it for our Holy Father. And words can't begin to express the gratitude we feel in our hearts for your faithfulness in that service. Well. It's good, uh, Scott, that you, you mentioned marriage as a symbol of our relationship with Jesus, because this is what marriage is meant to be, a way to, to uh, grasp the mystery, great mystery of the love between God and, and us. You mentioned the example of Paul. <clears throat> yes, the, the, the encounter with Jesus clearly divides the life of Paul into two parts. Yeah. I used to say that Every person divides his or her life into 
to parts. Usually it's marriage. You know? They say before marrying and after <laughs> marrying. For us, it's ordination. So we divide our life saying sure. before my ordination and after marriage. For Paul, Paul teaches us that there is one event which really creates and, and before and after. And it is a personal encounter with Jesus. This, this phrase, a personal encounter with Jesus, can, be, can become a slogan, but it is not yeah. a slogan. It's falling in love. It's falling in love. The problem is really that Jesus loves us more than you love Kimberly. Kimberly loves you. Yeah. Jesus yeah. loves us with the fullness of love, all the delicacies, the nuances of love. And he is waiting for people who respond to this love. And our message uh, in, any, in any occasion should be to convince people that they are loved by Jesus, who died for them. No, no matter what they have been in the past, or no matter what they are, if they accept this incredible love of Jesus, their lives will be changed. As I must confess, my life has been changed. Yes. Very good. Life changing. That's what it's all about in knowing the charisma, the great message <clears throat> of Jesus Christ. And uh, we have your book here, Remember Jesus Christ, Responding to the Challenges of Faith in Our Time by Renato Cantalamessa. So well done. Published by Word. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we have for you as our viewers, this handout, Jesus of Nazareth, one of the prophets. It's uh, Father Cantalamessa's first Advent sermon to the pontifical household. You ever thought about what you'd <laughs> preach or say to the whole household of the Pope, the Cardinals, bishops, all these together? Well, this is what Father Renero has said there. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, but it's not just one of the prophets, Jesus. It's a fulfillment. Oh, yes. Uh, the, but it Mark a, is just it puts him within reach that he's prophesying for us there, which is so important. And I found in my own life, going back to the charisma is so important. And preparing homilies, always looking, is there a proclamation of Jesus Christ there? Yes, there can be good teaching and good uh, application, but the heart of it is still to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim him to the people. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, show his face to you and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. May the Lord bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we will send you this for the asking. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu. Or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.